Pushkin. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Back in 2012, when Sam Bankman-Fried was an undergraduate at MIT, he learned about a movement called Effective Altruism, or EA for short. The argument behind EA, very roughly, is that philanthropy is broken. People shouldn't be giving away their money based on emotional attachments to certain causes or institutions. Rather, they should lean more on evidence and reason in order to do as much good as possible in the world. Sam Bankman-Fried soon became one of the most famous proponents of EA. One of the things that interested me when I met him the first time was his interest in this. I found it curious. I'd heard bits and pieces about EA, but I got the full-throated version from him. And as I started to write about his world, I found his company, FTX, was filled with people who also considered themselves effective altruists. Then, of course, Sam's cryptocurrency exchange dramatically collapsed last year. He and FTX had been possibly the best thing ever to happen to the effective altruist movement. But the best thing quickly transformed into the worst. This is On Background from Against the Rules. I'm Michael Lewis. Effective altruism is running through the background of my forthcoming book, Going Infinite. The movement started just a few years before Sam Bankman-Fried encountered it. I need to understand what effective altruists really believe and what it is about this movement that's so appealing to smart young people. And also how these advocates are trying to pick up the pieces after FTX's collapse. So we found two college students who are leaders in effective altruism organizations to talk to me about this. Al Shin is a senior at Harvard studying statistics, and Gabriel McCoby is a senior at Stanford studying computer science. I started off asking them how they'd explain effective altruism to someone who knows nothing about it. Gabe answers first. Um, 
we are like, at least I am like a person with a lot of privilege. I'm born in the US. I'm, uh, I go to like a, a pretty good university. I'm a man uh, who's grown up in a middle class family. Like I have a lot of privilege and resources to, to do change and impact in the world. And uh, maybe you want to like actually try to figure out what's the way you can have the best positive impact. And to me, effective altruism is both like a framework for trying to think about how we might do a whole lot of good with our with our careers, with our time, with our other resources, and then a community of people who are actually trying to put that into practice and actively like uh, uh, push their careers and their resources towards doing a lot of good. What kind of pushback do you get when you're talking to people your age about these ideas? Hmm. I think one possible avenue of pushback is this very cynical almost nihilist view that you can't actually enact positive change. Mm. The actual level of of suffering in the world is not going to be reduced. Uh, There's just not enough people working on this. Do you feel like what's under that objection is basic selfishness, that that I don't really want to have to think about the world this way, so if I can dismiss these arguments as as being preposterous, I can go about my selfish life? Certainly there are some people like that. and I, I would not say, though, that everyone is like that. I think there is genuinely people who have some level of very cynical, nihilistic outlook as to what humanity can accomplish. And that leads into not taking people seriously when they tend to have a more hopeful, optimistic attitude. And even for people who are um, very involved in EA at some point. These also just tend to be people who are philosophically inclined, and the philosophically inclined also tend toward nihilism at some point in their lives. <laughs> so maybe they'll come back around. Um, <laughs> uh, and like about the point of like people being selfish, like I don't know. When I was like first uh, like thinking about the ideas, it can feel overwhelming sometimes. Thinking about like, oh wow, like uh, maybe the default thing we're, we're growing up with, as Al said, is the world kind of beats into you that you're just a tiny little ant in this universe. You can't really do anything. There are all these big systems. It's pretty hopeless to actually do any change. And then EA is all like, whoa, people can have an impact. You can be like disproportionately impactful. You can do all this stuff. That feels like a lot of responsibility. Um, it also yep. feels like maybe a lot of pressure thinking about like, oh, do I actually want to change the trajectory of my career? I'm just like a young college student. Like, uh, I, th- I thought I was going to like do these other like fun, interesting things, but maybe I actually want to like change totally what I would work on. And that, that can be kind of scary for me. I think I had some of that maybe cognitive dissonance when I was first getting involved, um, and trying to think of like how much I wanted to trade off, uh, like what I would otherwise do if I was like totally egoistic versus um, what I want to prioritize in terms of uh, altruism and helping others and all this. When I first heard the ideas, I had encountered them in a very casual way because people had told me about young people going to Wall Street to make money to give it away. And I thought that was a that was really interesting. What a curious subversion of Wall Street. Uh, but But when I first got the full blast from the people at FTX, I remember thinking, God, this is so alien to anything I heard or felt or any impulse I had when I was a college student. And I asked myself, like, why? And I think the answer, the honest answer was, I didn't want to change the world. I liked the world just the way I found it. There was a kind of idiot happiness that I experienced when I was a college student that would have inoculated me against any kind of um, intellectual assault from an effective altruist. 
you probably don't really run across that as much, I bet. Also at Stanford, there's like definitely a like people call it the Stanford bubble. It's easy to like feel like you're in this little utopia separated yep. from the universe. Uh, and a lot of people just like, I don't know, life is good here and let's just go work in fintech or something. But right. uh, also there are like quite a lot of people here who do recognize that the world has quite a lot of issues. And a lot of people here, I think, do want to do things about that, whether that's like, I don't know, there's like a lot of people interested in climate change or social justice or things like this. Uh, I think yep. it's it's very much the case that many young people now are at least very broadly concerned with helping others. After a short break, Gabe, Al, and I get into what sets effective altruism apart from ordinary altruism. On Background, we'll be right back. As listeners of this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert teams of nerds have the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. Let me tell you an unconventional story about a healthcare group that wanted to improve their efficiency. Boston Children's Hospital. They were already a leading pediatric facility. Their patient outcomes, workflows, and delivery of care were already great. But they wondered, how can we make it better? So the hospital got to work. Their idea was to build what they called clinical mobility, meaning a system which would allow their staff to access information and interact with patients on mobile devices anywhere in the hospital. And what made that possible? 5G. The hospital rebuilt their entire system with 5G technology at its core. That infrastructure now supports thousands of phones and tablets so practitioners can communicate with patients on a whole new level. Boston Children's also made sure the system could flex and scale to handle medical advancements like robotic surgery and virtual reality for training and research. This was worlds away from how they had previously operated. This innovative work hasn't gone unnoticed, first by patients, but also by their peers. Boston Children's was a first place winner in the industry category at last year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business, an event that celebrates customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of innovation. If the Boston Children's story rings a bell with you, if your team has asked the same questions about building a better business solution, I encourage you to enter this year's awards. It's a great way to be recognized for smart, disruptive thinking in front of some of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm back with Harvard senior Al Shin and Stanford senior Gabriel Mukobi on background. I would love you both to explain to, like, someone who's never heard of these ideas, like, What's the difference between effective altruism and just altruism or ordinary philanthropy? Yeah. Um, so Peter Waldeford, who is one of the co-founders of Rethink Priorities, has a recent post that I quite like. Um, it's called EA is Three Radical Ideas I Want to Protect. And the three ideas are radical empathy, trying to think about the ways that society might be wrong in not extending moral consideration to others. The second is scope sensitivity. A lot of people are bad at actually estimating the amount of impact certain things will do. If you like survey people on like, hey, you could do this one intervention and it would like save um, a thousand chicken lives versus this other thing and it would save like a hundred thousand chicken lives. And you ask the people like, hey, how good is this thing compared to the other? And then they like rate it on a scale. Uh, the difference is like, oh, it's like goes from like a six to a seven. So like emotionally, a lot of people have a hard time like uh, empirically or uh, objectively evaluating the impact of things. Of the things they do. Yes. Or, right, or the money they give. And EA is measuring this so that you have scope sensitivity. Measuring or like at least just trying to be aware of this, this effect and trying to uh, actually do things that seem to have more of an impact on others rather than just like more impact on how we feel good inside of our heads about us doing things. Um, yep. And then the third thing is scout mindset. Uh, and this is the idea of like... Uh, thinking of your your arguments and the ways you approach the world not as like soldiers like a lot of people argue with each other as soldiers um their arguments are soldiers is the term i guess where you're you you are on the right side you're like fighting for your kingdom or whatever uh and you're gonna like say the things in order to win the battle this is different from how scouts approach the world where you don't know about the, the territory and the landscape and you're trying to like uh, maintain uncertainty over different possibilities and take in different evidence and try to figure out what the truth is. Maybe this is just a better way of approaching thinking about the world that can enable us to be closer to the truth, more more honest, more objective, and hopefully mess up less when we're trying to do a lot of impactful things. Al, can I ask you the same question? Just like if you're just explaining the difference between general do-goodism or philanthropy and effective altruism, how do you go about it? I think effective in effective altruism is not to contrast it with ineffective altruism, but to make it seem like this is altruism that is really focused on the effects of what we're doing. That isn't about how the do-gooder necessarily feels about the actions that they're doing, but what amount of good do those actions put into the world? How big a part of your life is it? Is there anything you've done differently with your life because this movement exists? Hmm. I think it has altered the course of what I chose to study. I mean, I, I basically changed from some interest in computer science and machine learning and, and protein folding coming into college into getting a more broader statistical and probability base that could be generalized to, to more problems depending on what seemed more urgent at the time, uh, mm. which 
is forever changing. So I thought like a, a more broad probability basis would be would be good for that. I think there is some um, some reasonable limit you have to impose on yourself before you find yourself over optimizing to doing the most good and ending up not necessarily operating like a human being but just like a little ball of stress that is constantly <laughs> tormented by the amount of suffering that you're putting into the world this is something that the effective altruism movement is trying to discourage among especially young people who get involved because again the philosophically minded, in addition to going through a nihilist phase, also go through like several neurotic phases in their life, probably. <laughs> well, what, um, like, what, what would be going too far with effective altruism in your mind? Hmm. What line well, when, they, when someone crosses it in the movement do you think, I wouldn't do that? Something like if you're forcing yourself to do something that you hate like absolutely despise because of some abstract uh reasoning that this is the most good that you in particular can do um i think sacrificing a lot of personal happiness for like very uncertain future outcomes when there are options that like you could do that you would be happy with that aren't bad it's like not impossible that someone hears that oh this particular uh like biosecurity or pandemic preparedness or, or bio-risk is a, a really important cause area. And then they force themselves to go work in the wet lab, even though they hate lab work. They absolutely despise it. They don't like the, the like PPA. They don't like the protocols. They don't like working with chemicals or organisms, etc. But for some reason, they have decided based on their reasoning, this is the most important thing that they can do. Um, I would say that like this extreme sacrifice of personal happiness and like ability to enjoy the, the work that you do is probably indicative that you like this is not something that the movement wants to induce in people who are exposed to its ideas. Right. Gabe, let me ask you the same question, like how it's affected your life, your actual decisions you've made or things you've done that you would not otherwise have done if effective altruism didn't exist. Yeah. Like now I'm for my career, I'm like primarily considering working in AI safety or policy or field building. I think like most directly, um, probably it's like accelerated my like thinking of this and trying to uh, critically analyze the trajectory I want to set my personal career on and um, what I should be doing to get there. Uh, so maybe it's more of like a speed up effect than like a drastic turn. Uh, I think it's been useful to have both like this framework, this intellectual thing and the community. And the community has been like really helpful. And I've made a lot of friends and I'm like very thankful to have a lot of people who are supporting me and can talk to to discuss these very hard questions. But th this must come up in the community. Like, where do you draw the line? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I'm thinking not just like choice of career, but how about a question like, do you have kids? Mm. Uh, <laughs> is it a selfish and ineffective pursuit, having kids? I mean, you hear people talk about that? Yeah, definitely. I hang out with people who are like mostly too young to be having kids yeah. right now. Um, so, <laughs> But you're thinking about you, but it's going to come up. Somewhat, yeah. You, you, yeah. There are certainly and, like a lot of people writing on the forum that, effectivealtruism.org. There's one post they had decided not to have kids and they're like, wow, this is this is just the rational thing to do. Um, like 
it's it'd be selfish for us to do this and they like committed to this and they were miserable yeah and the argument the argument is you have you'll have less of an impact on the problems that threaten humanity and you, you, less of an impact on total human happiness if if you have to spend so many hours raising a child that was the the general idea the or like at least the the naive utilitarian idea perhaps um, but it turns out they were miserable they like really didn't like it um, so they talked about it and decided like, yes, actually, uh, like Al said, this is something we actually care about a lot. That's like really integral to our personal happiness and to our life satisfaction. We do want to have kids and they decided to have kids. And I think now they have kids and they're much happier. They're also like more productive, they said. And like this has actually been an, uh, an increase to their productivity and their like self-reported ability to do a lot of good. So uh, certainly like people think about this a lot and try to talk about it. But it seems like there are no clear answers universally a lot of this stuff just depends on the individual perhaps al do you have anything to say about having kids yeah i would say on the flip side of this problem um probably a lot of people have kids for the wrong reasons too um like social pressure familial pressure etc and maybe being an effective altruism makes them more likely to identify like these pressures that are are causing them to make a decision that wouldn't be good for them, either in terms of personal happiness or even in terms of their ability to solve the problem. Do you all have these discussions? About kids? Not really. <laughs> Not really. What about kidneys? What about giving a kidney? Um. <laughs> uh, so the first, my characters had big talks about kids and mostly came down on the side, you're not supposed to have them. They were arguing. That's where they settled, mostly. The kidney question was another one. Like, do you have an obligation to give away your kidney? Yeah, it seems like there's, like, a lot of discussion about this several years ago in the EA community, at least, like, what I've read online. I was not involved, like, back then. You were, you're post-kidney. Post I'm post-kidney, yeah. Post-kidney <laughs> right. EA. A lot of people were thinking about this, and... Um, it seems like there is like quite a compelling case, maybe like a, a lot of people just die from being on the kidney wait list and like there aren't yeah. enough kidneys and uh, seems like generally it's somewhat safe to survive on one kidney for a lot of people. Maybe this yep. just like is a very direct way to mostly counterfactually save someone's life. So I think that's like, I don't know, a pretty strong case. I've not thought about this a lot. I've not given a kidney. I don't know anyone else of like my EA friends who has. Um, it seems like for, for various reasons, this is like falling out of favor in the in the conversations. It's also just like a very extreme kind of commitment. Like it's it's a very bad recruiting strategy to be like, hey, have you heard of effective altruism? By the way, can we have your kidney? Um, this, is, this is like, I don't know, it's not the best way to like approach people, I think. Um, and yeah, maybe people... it's really a, it's kind of a second date conversation. Yeah, you got to give it a little right. time to stew, perhaps. Right. I've had some friends bring up the discussion of kidneys it still seems mostly like a throwaway uh philosophical argument than necessarily a, a direct moral imperative i i don't think there's ever been a instance where someone is like i'm going to donate my kidney unless someone gives me a good argument to stop me right now mm -hmm. i'm curious are there still debates within ea about focusing on immediate suffering versus focusing on big long-term existential threats current lives versus lives in the future oh yeah definitely definitely <laughs> is it kind of still an urgent topic of conversation in ea i would say yes but it's not stopping people from doing work in either of those areas while the debate is not settled um certainly people are still pushing forward and 
you know, solving or or alleviating tuberculosis burden versus working on these like existential threats that might happen in the future. We're going to take a break here. When we return, Gabe and Al talk about effective altruism and the idea of the bank shot. As listeners of this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert teams of nerds have the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History, my podcast about the overlooked and the misunderstood. A couple of years ago, I wrote a book called Outliers. It was about exceptional people, the ones who operate at the outer edges of human performance. Outliers fascinate me. And last year, I discovered an outlier in the form of a community organization, Washington State's City of Bellevue. The city wanted to improve public safety by making their roads safer, So they created something that no one had ever built before, a platform that gave road users warnings of any dangers ahead in real time. How did they build it? By using a combination of technologies, the cellular vehicle-to-everything network, T-Mobile's 5G network, and 5G-connected cameras. People driving, bicycling, walking, running, can't forget people running, and people operating the transportation network now had a way to prevent crashes. It's been a huge success. The city of Bellevue earned first place in the community category at the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards, an event that celebrates T-Mobile customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of meaningful change. If you're a T-Mobile for Business customer and your team has, like the city of Bellevue, innovated something really, really cool, I encourage you to enter. It's also a great way for outliers to be recognized in front of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's interesting to me because... After my main character in the book, after Sam Bankman-Fried, he does collide with EA, and in its very early incarnation, and in its early in its first incarnation, it really is about like taking some of your salary and giving it to um, an effective charity that is, you know, saving the most lives in poor countries, and 
And a year into it, there's a kind of intellectual revolution inside of in the in the minds of the very people who who brought him EA. And they are starting to argue that actually the more impactful thing to do is try to prevent humanity from being wiped out by some pathogen or by, you know, unaligned AI or or whatever it is. Um, And I'm just kind of wondering how alive that debate still is or if it's just kind of a dead letter or if it's affecting the way you're thinking about what you're doing with your lives. Yeah, I think a big unsettled question here is being able to prioritize um, these very different moral responsibilities we have around harm. So I think this is something Elizabeth Ashford introduced a few years ago, this idea of like primary, secondary, and tertiary moral responsibilities. Primary is you personally don't do harm. Secondary is you prevent other people from doing harm to others. And third is if someone has experienced harm, you work to alleviate that harm. So in terms of this, uh, it's it's really a very difficult prioritization scheme when you have all these different responsibilities toward harm. And if one of these categories, which, for example, would be like alleviating, as I mentioned before, tuberculosis burden um, that affects millions of people is still a leading infectious disease killer versus preventing a pandemic from being engineered that could kill everybody. Um, it's very difficult to see where the uh, moral prioritization lines up in terms of what you should personally work on. And it's also something that like might not necessarily be solvable with doing like a probability calculation because like moral responsibility is not necessarily something that you can like boil down to numbers. It's also hard to make probability calculations about about a lot of the existential threats. Yeah, it's like certainly it's probably like harder than uh, you're like more likely to be wrong than like a randomized control trial of malaria interventions. Right. At the same time, I think um, a lot of people can make pretty good educated guesses, perhaps based on the evidence we have and the reasoning we have about things like a lot of people in the EA movement, perhaps um, predicted something like COVID before it happened. A lot of people were like raising the fire alarms of we should have much better pandemic preparedness and monitoring and rapid uh, vaccine development programs. Uh, And then they like, for various reasons, messed up and weren't listened to and COVID happened anyway. Um, Maybe like similar things are happening with with AI risk now too, where if you survey like leading machine learning experts who are like not focused on these risks and are just like people publishing top papers that some of the top machine learning conferences, the result from the most recent AI impact survey um, was like the median respondent gives like a 10% chance that that the development of AI will like destroy everyone or like result in catastrophic outcomes, including human extinction. They're real things. They're yeah, possibly they real. I definitely agree with Gabe on this point that the the difficulty and maybe the lack of clarity on an exact number of people that might be killed by AI in the future is not not a counter argument to the fact that this could be a really big problem um like the uncertainty isn't that like there's a super 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 high probability that nothing is going to happen there is definitely lots of fairly fairly good analysis on things that may come to pass if we don't do anything to regulate or or like solve certain issues the characters in my book did this bank shot that that effective altruism kind of dreamed up they the all earned to give idea that you you go do a job that you might not necessarily do to maximize the dollars you make that you can then give away to people like you so you can do what you're doing. Yeah, so certainly a lot of 
early EA stuff was kind of focused on, hey, we're just a very small movement. Um, maybe we should like figure out ways to more effectively direct philanthropic funds towards more impactful organizations. Uh, but over time, as the community has grown, as people have engaged in these ideas further, now people are like, hey, what if we are the philanthropic organizations? What if we actually do this direct work and try to have more of an impact? Um, there's certainly like a lot of current issues, uh, like uh, like a lot of perhaps global health and developments and animal welfare things that can just benefit from a lot of money. Maybe that's where a lot of this funding still goes to. But certainly there are like a lot of it within there, within those fields and within other causes, there's like still a very big need for people doing direct work. And so that's maybe more of the current focus. Uh, is that true? It's Harvard too, Al? I would say so. Um, certainly we do have some aspects of even our introductory fellowship that is more of this classic um if you have like spare money and a lot of people would benefit from donating it uh then you probably should and you should make sure it goes to highly effective charities that can make that money go as far as possible and save the most people uh what we don't really encourage is making uh lots of money and then expecting people to donate it for a lot of the same reasons that Gabe has outlined. Um, generally, like the people who are coming into Harvard EA tend to have like very specialized skill sets and ability to acquire like lots of really, really cool, uh, cool skills, basically. And if it we didn't like direct them to doing like the very best things that they could do with like these very specific and unique uh, talents, then this would also be like quite a quite a waste. It's interesting because it's very different from what was being pitched by the leaders of effective altruism back when Sam Bankman-Free was MIT. He listened to a speech where it was really encouraging the audience to go to Wall Street or go, go into some high-paying job and channel the dollars. You know, instead of being a doctor in Africa, you could pay for 10 doctors in Africa. Um, and you're not, that's not, that, that idea is not kicking around in the same way. I think it's also much harder perhaps now to be like really successful at earning to give compared to some of this other stuff. Like maybe earning to give is much more heavy tailed in the sense that it's just the very few people who make like like the very extreme amounts of money who can like pay for a lot of this stuff. It's funny because the earn to give idea originates with Toby Ord doing it himself and he's on a he's on an Oxford professor's salary and arguing and making the point that just by donating a an oversized chunk of his salary, not so much that he couldn't survive, that he, he would save like 80,000 children from blindness in Africa. And it, it's, that idea was intoxicating to Sam uh, and to the people around him. But it doesn't sound like it's really, a, it's as infectious with you all. The reason that's odd to me is that you're both sitting in institutions that are pipelines to very high paying jobs mm -hmm. in tech and finance. And it's sort of like, that it would be a, it would be a natural step so I, I wouldn't say it's like gone away, um, but I would like distinguish that kind of earning to give from like the, oh, let's actually try to like get into the very tail end of the highest paying jobs, particularly not do the thing you're going to do otherwise, but do the thing that earns the most money as possible and donate. And that seems like much, much harder to me um, uh, to succeed at compared to like directing people to direct work in fields that they might be really competent at. For a brief period, Sam Beckman fried made it look very easy. And I'm wondering when FTX blew up, if it reverberated around your organizations. Did people talk about it? Yeah, there was definitely a lot of um, shockwaves that went through every organization affiliated with uh, effective altruism in some way. 
some more than others, it really did cause a lot of people, including college organizers, to step back and just be like, did why did this happen basically in yeah. terms of like how how responsible should the ea community as a whole be for making this happen as like one guy who got affiliated with ea and is like now in a, a position of huge monetary influence um felt empowered to make a lot of like very 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 poor decisions gabe do you have some thoughts on this yeah like certainly like that resonates a lot there are if you especially like look online, um, so people in EA really like the scout mindset thing. And it's like a part of that is considering where you might be wrong. And so maybe effective altruism more than a lot of other communities really likes to criticize itself and try to think of ways are wrong in order to, to improve our, our, like our strategy and framework and whatever. So there certainly like has been a lot of online discourse about this. A lot of people, uh, especially like older people in the community discussing like, whoa, is this our fault? Like I'll said, did, did we go wrong? Is this EA's fault or is Sam just a bad person and we like missed him or something? Um, certainly like, like the online discussion within the EA community seems to have been like even larger than the media discussion of this. Um, mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, maybe the, the news cycle just moves fast and people move on to new things. But like, it feels like still there, like every couple of weeks or something, a new community posts about like, hey, how could we have prevented the FTX situation? Um, but among like college students, it seems like that's quite different. They're like some of some of our like uh, new EA intro fellows who are like doing the fellowship in the fall when this happened. Um, I was like, oh, so do you, did you hear about the news about FTX and SBF? What do you think about that? And they're like, oh, who's Sam Bigman-Fried? Have you heard anybody in these forums or anybody in your groups try to justify Sam's behavior, saying that actually this was, that he's Robin Hood, uh, that that we don't mind him having tried to take taken this risk with depositors' money because the money was going to go to these other things and uh, could have worked out, don't blame him? People in effective altruism seem to want to always try to consider both sides of any kind of situation and try to like, yep. as I'll said, like think about a thing and then th immediately think about the current arguments. Um, certainly when FTX first happened, there was, I remember seeing some comments about like, oh, maybe, maybe this was because of X reasons and Y, or, um, at least like, uh, we should be like cutting Sam some slack cause he must feel like really shitty right now, which is probably true. Um, I think generally now the, the sentiment has changed a lot and everyone's like, wow, you, you really messed up. This seems like very clearly bad. This was hugely useful to me, more useful than you know, and I really appreciate you giving me the time. Thanks so much. Yeah, yeah. thank you too. Thank Thanks you. so much for chatting, Michael. Yeah, yeah. All right, bye-bye. Al Shin is a senior at Harvard, and Gabriel McCoby is a senior at Stanford. Let's end today with a letter we got from a listener about a little snippet of conversation I had in the previous episode. I was chatting with Molly White, the noted crypto critic, Molly got her start in public life at the age of 13 when she edited a Wikipedia article about unicycles. At the very end of the episode, we tucked in a little exchange that I had with Molly, mainly because my producers thought it was funny. We call this an Easter egg. It ran after the episode's credits, so probably a lot of you didn't even hear it. What did you edit on the unicycle Wikipedia page? Uh, I'm pretty sure that I added information about the existence of other types of unicycles, you know? So there's like the very standard unicycle, but there's also ones that like are meant for going off road. And <laughs> there are ones that have like really big wheels that let you go <laughs> long distance. You know, an off road unicycle is, is, is to 
cycling what what Bitcoin is to money. <laughs> it's sort of it's sort of it's sort of like a solution in search of the problem. Absolutely. Well, listener Chris Holm heard that, and she wrote in. Her professional title is Writer in Chief at Chris Holm Unicycles Limited. Chris writes. I think Michael might need a bit of context on mountain unicycling. It is hardly the Bitcoin of mountain biking. Even if he doesn't find the sport interesting, I suspect he might find it intriguing to find the reality of the sport so very different from the perception. Well, Chris, I want to apologize because I never want to offend anybody. But actually, when I said that, the response I got was even more disturbed than yours was from Bitcoiners who didn't want Bitcoin to be seen as off-road unicycling. <laughs> so I had got it from both sides. I obviously should not have made this connection. Obviously, like off-road unicycling is to cycling what something else is to something else, but not Bitcoin is to money. And um, one day, if I summon the nerve, I might get on an actual unicycle. I kind of doubt I'm ever going to get to the mountain unicycling and I kind of doubt that I'm ever going to have a reason to actually explore the reality of the sport. So I apologize. I apologize for being so cavalier about something that is obviously important to other people. If you have a question, I'd love to hear it. You can contact me with it by clicking on our show notes or going to atrpodcast.com. On Background is hosted by me, Michael Lewis, and produced by Catherine Girardot and Lydia Jean Cott. Our editor is Julia Barton. Our engineer is Sarah Bruguer. Thanks to our SVP of production, Greta Cohn. Our show is recorded by Topher Ruth at Berkeley Advanced Media Studios. Our music was composed by Matthias Bossi and John Evans of Stellwagen Symphonette. My old friend Nick Bertel composed our theme song, on Background is a production of Pushkin Industries. To find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to listen ad-free and learn about other exclusive offerings, don't forget to sign up for a Pushkin Plus subscription at pushkin.fm backslash plus or on our Apple show page. Al, I'm going to be at your graduation. Oh, because <laughs> you're because gradu- you're graduating with Quinn. Have you seen her around? I have not used the Courier Dance Studio recently, which is where I would most <laughs> likely see Quinn. When Quinn knew me in the the first year arts program, I had not started dancing. I started break dancing in the fall after the the program. Do you consider yourself an effective break dancer? Hmm. <laughs> I think this falls squarely in the realm of things that I'm not optimizing in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business 
at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry and me. I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.